Hi, I'm Ron Mars, writer of Witchblade and Ravine and Shinku and other things, including most recently Adventures of Superman. And you're listening to Superman with Aaron and Paul. talk about superman i'm just going right into it hit it so i hope you were ready aaron i'm ready uh. <laughs> I, I gotta ask you you were on toy hunter i was and you know we, we talk about toy hunter pretty frequently because i'm obsessed with the show it's probably the reason i have a superman collection is because i started watching that damn show um so tell us a little bit about the experience and i know um you know for our listeners uh, Ron was on the uh, recent episode of Toy Hunters that featured uh, Israel Adonage. I hope I pronounced that right. And, That's uh, correct. And so, tell us a little bit about you know how that came about, and you know a little bit of just how, you know the process of uh, you being on that show. Um, it, all of the stuff with with uh, Bart Sears and myself was filmed at the C two E two convention uh, last year when uh, Athletic Comics uh, set up its uh, first, first con presence really, except for a little, you know, a little booth at New York Comic Con um, a couple of years ago. This was the first full blown uh, Athleta Comics uh, uh, presence at a show, and obviously, you know, because it's Chicago, it's the hometown show for uh, for Israel Adonage, who um, played for the Bears for ten years, uh, went to the Lions last year, and now has just re-signed with the Bears again. Um, so we, we shot a bunch of footage uh, at the show, and then they they did some uh, they did some pickup stuff with Izzy in Detroit uh, during the season last year. Uh, so it was you know it was it was a lot of fun actually. It, uh, you know it it was a uh, was my first experience with you know a quote unquote reality TV experience, and you know everybody assumes that these things are. Uh, you know, scripted up the wazoo and everything's figured out ahead of time. But, it, you know, it really wasn't the case with, with Toy Hunter, certainly. It, it was, you know, it was just sort of, you know, there was a, there was a plan in place like, you know, you, you know you're going to walk in here and, you know, because you're, you're shooting live, you're shooting in the, in the midst of this convention. So you want to have some sense of what's going to, uh, of, of the blocking and what's going to happen. But really things kind of unfolded uh, pretty naturally. Um so it, you know, it was fun. I, you know, I, I turned the TV on last week, and I was actually getting ready to uh, fly to MegaCon early the next morning, and uh, uh, and I was actually in the midst of a, a fantasy baseball draft, so I couldn't actually watch myself on TV, but but my kids watched me on TV, yeah. and and you know, I I was in in the show fairly early on, and uh, at that point, I had I had stepped in the TV room, and the 
you know, even though my kids knew I was going to be on, knew what the deal was, they still, uh, like when I came on the TV, they were still looking between me on the TV and me standing next to them with like some utter confusion as to how is this actually happening? Uh, well, they were they were proud of you. <laughs> yep, they were proud that I didn't make a fool out of myself on on uh, cable TV. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was fun. It was it was it was cool. Uh, Jordan, who hosts the show, was uh, was really great to talk to, and uh, the the whole crew was uh, the whole crew was great. And then actually, I think that the best thing that came out of it is the uh, the the woman that does the makeup said I had really great skin. Um, so, which I immediately came home and told my wife. Absolutely, I was gonna. I, you would have to do that. A professional told me that I have great skin, lovely skin, L- supple. I have the, I have the skin of an eighteen-year-old boy, and it's <laughs> nailed to the back of the nailed to the back of my closet door. Absolutely. <laughs> She's gonna make a Ron suit. Yes. <laughs> Put the lotion in the basket. Right. <laughs> So, you know, since you're talking about Athleta Comics, tell, tell us, I mean, how'd you get involved in that? How's that, how is that kind of working out? Uh, it's working out great. It's, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I couldn't be happier uh, to be involved in this thing. It's, it's uh, really, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that just comes out of, out of left field. And for me, we were introduced by a mutual friend, or we being uh, myself and Israel Adonijay. Um, and we met at, um, you know, we were, we talked on the phone, we met at, uh, C2 or not C2E2 at San Diego a few years ago. And, um, Izzy showed me this, you know, this concept he had for the protectors comic book, which is something that he'd been working on for a few years, um, just writing down concepts and characters and, and, um, getting, getting a, you know, a clear backstory, uh, written up um so he handed me this literally like 70 page bible that he had he had prepared and said can we can we do this as a comic can you help me turn this into a comic and um the the you know the short version of it which is uh it's sports and superheroes together you know i think it 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 can tend to have to make people uh roll their eyes a little bit because they immediately think of nfl super pro uh, and you know, it, it could come off really kind of lame. Um, but the, the concept is so solid and it's really, um, you know, untilled soil for, for comics. Um, and you'd think it would have been, have been successfully done before, but it really hasn't, um, you know, sports, uh, you know, sports is all about, um, you know, heroic bodies in motion. And obviously that's what superhero comics do. Uh, there should have been some overlap before, but it really it, it's hard to pull off on a page. Um, so once we got into it, I knew that you know that getting the right art was going to be integral to making the project successful. So I called up my buddy Bart Sears and kind of twisted his arm to uh, to come back to comics. He was mostly doing video games at that point, um, and uh, Bart liked it well enough and and really has thrown himself into the project wholeheartedly. Uh, and I'm, you know, both Izzy and I are really thankful for his involvement because I don't, I don't think it would work anywhere near as well without an artist that can, that can do both ends of, of this book, which is the, the superhero cosmic stuff as well as the sports stuff. Um, 
so last year at C2E2, we debuted a, uh, a number zero issue for uh, Athleta Comics of The Protectors, which had, you know, story content, a, a, um, a prequel story, a teaser from the first issue, and a bunch of, um, you know, handbook in the Marvel Universe style entries to it. Um, and this year at C2E2, which is... Uh, towards the end of April, uh, we'll actually uh, be printing up a limited run of the complete first issue uh, of the Protectors uh, that will only be available at C2E2. Now, have y'all, uh, you released a, a print book last year or was it just a preview? No, it was a print book. Uh, print book of issue zero. And again, it was only, it's, you know, it's a self-published thing that we did just for C2E2. So it's not um, available digitally or anything? Uh, you can actually go to the uh, uh, Athleta Comics website, and the uh, uh, the prequel story is up there for free. Oh, okay. Uh, that you can check. Um, drawn by Bart, inked by uh, Mark Pennington, colored by uh, a terrific Indian colorist we're working with, uh, Niraj Menon, mm-hmm. uh, and, and humbly written by myself, uh, all from uh, concepts that uh, that Israel Adonijah came up with. Um, and and Izzy lets us do our jobs. I mean, that's one of the the sheer pleasures of the whole thing. Is you know he he says uh, he's not a writer, he's not an artist. He came up with the concept and and sort of gave birth to the thing. But he you know he's given us his his creation to you know to to raise up properly, I guess. Um, and uh, at this point, I've written the first five issues. Bart's drawn the first three issues. Uh, so there's a lot of material in the can, uh, and we'll uh, probably at C2E2 we'll have an announcement about uh, a publishing partner and a uh, a publishing schedule uh, for later in 2014. Do you anticipate uh, you know releasing in multiple platforms such as print and and digital at the same time, or have you all you know crossed those bridges yet? Um, we, uh, let's see, we've crossed those bridges, but we haven't quite gotten to the other side. I think maybe gotcha. is the way to put it, okay. um, but, but yeah, I mean, obviously, um, obviously just putting out a print book, uh, or just putting out a digital version, uh, is, is kind of cutting off half the market one way or the other. So we'd, you know, we'd like to get it out on as many platforms as possible. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Look forward to hearing that announcement. Yeah. And so that's, um, yeah, uh... like I said, probably at C2E2, we've got, We've got some stuff cooking and people we're, we're partnering with and, and all falling, you know, all really pleasantly falling into place. But uh, we'll we'll make the, the firm announcements uh, at the right time and the right place. Sure. Well, I got to tell you, having Bart Sears as your artist, as your penciler, really just, uh, you know, that 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 scratches me right where I itch. I, I love Bart Sears. And you're right. I mean, he hasn't done a ton of uh, comics work in a while. And I know recently he started doing a couple of covers, if I remember correctly. But uh, you know, I, I I loved his stuff. Um, yeah, that, that, that Bart Sears, he's all right. He's okay. <laughs> he's a good guy. Uh, yeah, Bart's Bart's you know one of my best friends in the world. So uh, one of the you know one of the true pleasures of working in comics in general is a lot of times you get to work with your friends. Um, and and in this in this scenario. Um, you know, we're working, you know, uh, we're all friends. We're working together. Um, uh, Izzy has been uh, as kind as and as supportive as you could possibly hope for. Um, 
you know, and there's and there's no real editorial oversight other than what we're doing ourselves. It's you know, it's very much the, you know, let's let's put on a play in the backyard and you know we'll make the sets and the costumes and it's it's very much a homegrown uh, um, a homegrown project and I'm really happy with the way it's coming out. I, I you know I wouldn't I wouldn't give you the you know the hard sell if that if that wasn't true. I'm I'm trying to. Uh, as much as possible in the story and, and in how we're we're telling it, capture the kind of stuff that that I read uh, in my formative years as a as a comic reader, which would really be the you know uh, Perez Wolfman Teen Titans, oh. uh, Burn Claremont X Men, um, the the sort of classic Perez uh, Jim Shooter uh, John Byrne David Michelinie uh avengers runs so I, I mean that's that's all the that stuff is the is the sweet spot that i'm that i'm going for and and hopefully we get you know we get into that ballpark it's a you know it's it, it's a comic for everybody you know literally eight to 80 we're trying to keep it um uh trying to keep it in that ballpark that you can hand it to a kid you can hand it to a you, you can hand it to a kid or you can hand it to somebody that's been reading comics for 30 years and hopefully it appeals to both I'm suddenly excited about this. Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm coming away now knowing how to pronounce David Michelinie's name. <laughs> <laughs> for so, 30 years, I've been saying Michelin. So, I, I, a question for you: You know, working on on a project like this where you don't have an editor, and you know, of course, we've all heard story, horror stories about you know editors and and uh, you know creators that that have not meshed. But you know, when when you think about those really good relationships that you've had with an editor, where they really brought something to the table, how do you compensate for that when you're you know it's strictly a creator owned kind of thing, and and you know you don't have the editor in the mix? Um. You know, I've I've edited enough stuff and I've put together enough comics that I, I think we you know we don't really. You hate to say well we don't need an editor, uh, because it sounds arrogant. It sounds, um, uh, you know, it sounds like you're being dismissive of the editor's role, and that's not really the case. Um, but I, I think if if you do something long enough and you get uh, at least facile at it, you get familiar with how it works, you should be able to do it without somebody supervising you. Um, and that's kind of the, the mindset here is that, um, you know, Bart and I, you know, it's not our first rodeo. We, you know, we know our way around the comic. We, you know, after 20 plus years for both of us, you know, if we if we didn't know how to do this on our own, we probably should get out of the business. Um, and, and certainly when, you know, when there are, um, you know, when there are points of divergence in, you know, I, I'm not quite sure which way to go with the story, I'm, you know, or Bart wants to know, you know, get some feedback on what something should look like. Um, there are enough other people that we can go to, to, you know, to have a discussion. And principally, that's each other as well as uh, Israel Adonage. You know, what do you, what do you think we should do here? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is a, this is a collaborative medium. Um, and, and the collaboration, I think, is at the heart of what makes a lot of this stuff work. So we talk a lot. We talk, you know, uh, you know, we have a we have a Skype uh, conference every week to kind of update what's going on and where we are and who's doing what. And uh, and then in in terms of the nitty gritty, uh, the nitty gritty uh, creative process, you know, Bart and I talk to each other virtually daily. Uh, you know, 
you know, maybe a day or two goes by once in a while that we're uh, involved in other things. But uh, there's always a check in to, you know, just make sure that the, you know, the train is still on the tracks and we're all we're all pulling in the same direction. Sure. So since we're kind of talking about the independent work a little bit, let's uh, I, I, I was kind of hoping maybe we could chat with you about a status update on the, the second volume of Shinku. Um, we have uh, issue six and seven in the can. Ooh, that's uh, exciting. They're not colored yet, they're not colored yet because uh, our colorist has just uh, had too many things going on in his life, uh, personally and professionally, to devote any time to it. Uh, uh, and then his schedule as of now is just so booked up with other projects that it's really unlikely that he's going to be able to come back and, and work on the material. Um, so we need to find ourselves a, another colorist. Uh, and in, in the meantime, we'll just keep plugging away on the issues. Uh, my, my goal is to get, you know, get the next five issues complete and then we'll start putting them out. Uh, obviously way too much time has elapsed between, uh, issue five and the purported issue six to have anybody, uh, have confidence in us putting the book out on a regular schedule. So uh, I think it's incumbent upon us to get the next five complete and and then put them out. I, th- I think that sounds great. I mean, I, you know, being able to, uh, you know, promote the book and say, hey, it's all done and it's coming out on these dates. I, I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, well, look, doing an independent book uh, is, is – uh, you know, it's a, like anything in comics, but even more so, it's a it's a project of juggling. Uh, sure, you're trying to juggle paying work along with the you know the creator owned stuff that more than likely you're doing for free. Um, you know, you got to pay the mortgage. You got to keep you keep food on the table. Um, you know, strangely, my kids have gotten used to eating, so uh, <laughs> there has to be some sort of, some sort of balance with uh, with the paying work and the creator owned stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it's not easy. Uh, and, and frankly, we've, we've made virtually nothing on Shinku up to this point. So, uh, you know, that's, that's not a woe is me comment. It's more of a, uh, of just a, you know, the stark reality of, of, you know, we're looking at sitting down to do another five issues where nobody's going to, nobody's going to get paid to do it. Uh, and who knows if there's any money, you know, at the end of the road. So, you know, it becomes a, a a matter of priorities and of really of realities. You have to, you know, figure out what's what's realistic to to expect in terms of schedule when um, you know that every page of that every page of that project that you do is is likely uh, taking away time from something that you might actually be pulling a page right for. Right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, Shinku. I just I love that first volume, and I'm, I'm excited to, to for the new one to come out. So, you know, eagerly anticipating. Well, we're, we're very proud of it and very, very pleased with uh, the people that have supported it and the response that we've gotten. Um, you know, obviously, we owe you guys more issues, and, and we will get them done because we, we love doing the book. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I know that we uh, gave away several copies uh, here on the show. Uh, so, you know, we, we bought several copies and uh, we also did a, a, a Shinku week. And one of our entries on the site that week was a uh, how to incorporate Shinku into your role playing game. 
That's right. Yeah. In fact, uh, you, uh, we got uh, some signed books from yeah. you. We got a you know a set of the singular issues and a set of the and a, and a trade paperback. And uh, I uh, yeah I, I I contributed by by writing my name six times. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate you guys supporting it. It's it, it really you know like it's it, it's a word of mouth thing when you when you do your own book. Uh, word of mouth is the strongest uh, is the strongest tool you have and every every reader that you get is important well and the cool thing about shinku is you know recently and i'll put a link to this in the show notes um now for those of you who are unfamiliar with shinku i mean we have people who just tune in for the superman show and not necessarily funny books um shame on you but (laughs) if you are one of those people um you know shinku is uh, about a, a long story short a samurai vampire hunter um and it's just an excellent, excellent book. I think the first trade paperback is only – it's less than 15 bucks, if I recall, um, and absolutely worth your money. Uh, definitely check it out. And But recently on Comic Book Resources, now Ron writes um, a regular piece uh, or column for uh, Comic Book Resources. And you had an art con- – well, I wouldn't say an art contest, but more of like a an art submission thing for um, a page from an upcoming Shinku book. Tell us a little bit about, you know, that idea and how that whole thing went. Um, I, you know, I, I'm always a, a proponent of making sure that uh, the artists are artists on any project uh, are, are valued and given the, the same or even more um, uh, or, or even more uh, credit for, what goes on in the book than the writers. I, you know, I think the, the, the medium has become uh, more writer centric than is healthy. Uh, and a lot of times the art is treated as kind of interchangeable and it's anything, but I mean, I, you know, I started reading comics because I was a fan of the art. I, I love the stories too, but the art is, uh, is not interchangeable to me. It's, it's not a, it's not simply an exercise of lines on paper Every artist brings something particular and um, and really um, completely unique to the process. Uh, a, a page by one artist is is not the same as the same page executed by another artist. So um, I got the idea to to take a page of Shinku, obviously because it's I own that and I can do whatever I want with it. Uh, Take a page of Shinku and show off uh, show off the script and allow people to uh, submit their version of that of that page, their drawn version of that page, uh, and and put them all next to each other so that uh, so that people could uh, you know I hate to say compare and contrast like it's a you know tenth grade English lit uh, exercise, but so that you know so that the difference of what an artist brings to a page is clearly apparent. And, um, and, and then of course we showed the, uh, the, the quote unquote real page that we'll, we'll see print by, by Lee motor. Um, and I thought we'd maybe get a dozen submissions or something like that. Uh, but we ended up with more than 40 of them. Wow. Uh, and they are, and they were, uh, completely running the gamut from professional level stuff to, uh, to to pages by people that were obviously kind of just starting out and just figuring out how to put together a comics page, um, and I, I was hugely 
hugely flattered by the by the outpouring. Um, I didn't expect anything like that. And we gave people about two weeks to to produce the page and then then ran all of them uh, with my CBR column. And uh, I was, you know, I was fascinated by um, the, the the differences as well as the similarities in how people approach the page. Yeah, I mean, it was, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I looked at the column once they were all published and or they were all on that article. And, it, you know, it's funny because I think one person did them t- all as Smurfs. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, so you, you have different artistic interpretations, but it, it's. It's funny that some of them kind of got close to the ultimates, you know, to the, to the like you said, the, the final page that Lee Motor did. And, you know, some of them just, you know, different camera angles, things like that. It's 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 funny that, you know, the different interpretations of the same basically the exact same words. Well, hopefully, hopefully it pointed out to people how much uh, how much responsibility the artist has for um, for executing that page and making it successful. Um you know, the, the vast majority of what I write in a script is panel description. There's probably, you know, but when you get down to it, in terms of uh, strictly the words on the page, it's probably 80% panel description and the rest and 20% actual dialogue that goes in the book. Um, so the vast majority of what I write is, is seen by the artist, the colorist, the letterer, and the editor. It's like five people in the world actually see 80% of the script. The rest is um, you know, that's it. You know, it's really kind of a uh, a good portion of what I do is just not um, not visible to anybody. So the uh, the the fact that um, all of these artists came in and you know made such this is completely irrespective of the quality of the the perceived quality of the artwork, the the level of finish or the level of of uh, accomplishment of the artist, but just the, the the choices in terms of of angles and camera placement and how you know how close we are to the action, how far away we are to the action, um, all of the all of that is the subtle stuff that makes a page uh, succeed or not succeed, um, sort of invisibly to the reader. I think when the when the reader doesn't notice the storytelling and is simply swept away uh, by what's on the page that means the artist has done his or her job. Um, so more often than not, you don't really notice the artist doing his or her job unless you go back and really, really dig deep into it. Um, uh, so it's uh, hopefully what people took out of that is the artists are really, really important to this process. You know, if and if if they weren't, we'd just be writing prose novels. Well, and speaking of artists, that this kind of brings me to Superman. And the new adventures of Superman. Um, now, I should probably have written this down before we got on the line, um, but you recently did three digital issues of Adventures of Superman. Um, do you know what print issue those are going to be in? Um, I don't. I think it's. I think those are probably in the next print issue that are going to be that's going to be solicited, but I okay. don't know exact number it is. Um, but I believe the. Um, uh, I believe the uh, the digital chapters, hmm, uh, 43, 44, and 45. Is that yes. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, they, they they recently came out, and where I'm going with that, you know, with in relation to the art is Doc Shaner was uh, your uh, partner in crime on this uh, this story, and I, I I'm I I got to be honest, I, I I wasn't really familiar with his stuff. Um, 
prior to the story, and I just adored his art in in this uh, in this book. Uh, Doc is great. He's he's the guy I wrote the story for. Um, even before he was officially assigned to the story, um, I was thinking of his stuff when I wrote the first chapter. Uh, I was thinking of his artwork, and and really, he's the guy I wanted. Uh, and and pushed for pretty pretty heavily when we started talking about artists for the story. Um, and I had never met Doc. I don't know that I I had even talked to him, other than uh, on Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I sort of discovered his stuff uh, on Twitter probably uh, from following some other artists that that he's friends with, and just you know ended up seeing his stuff and seeing links to his. Uh, his Tumblr and, and things like that, and just really being enthralled by his style and his his accomplishment. Uh, so when I came up with this story, pitched it to DC, uh, you know, I pitched a, a handful of stories to them, and this is the one. This is the one that I wanted to do the most. It's the one I liked the best. So I was very relieved when they picked this one. Um, I really pushed for Doc to to be the guy that that draws it because. I felt like he was apt, he was just the right choice in terms of um, his Superman, his style, the overall sensibility that he would bring to it. And, um, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I was right. Well, yeah, he, he knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful yeah. story. And, and I, I love the the very. I don't know, I guess for absence of a better phrase, kind of a pulp sensibility to it in terms of the robot and certainly the way uh, Superman styled. I mean, just very iconic and, and, and an enjoyable uh, sense to the artwork as well as to the story itself. I mean, I, I really got a kick out of this story. So when you know you said you pitched you know this and a couple of other ideas to DC for Adventures of Superman, were you invited to pitch or did you, you know, seek them out? Um... Huh, I, I actually can't. I was gonna. I was gonna say, oh well, this is how it happened. But then I realized that if I said this, this is how it happened, it would sort of blow something else that that hasn't been announced yet. Uh, but uh, <laughs> oh, damn it! <laughs> that, was, that was that was a nice try though. Yeah. Uh, anytime. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, somebody in DC uh, said to me. Uh, somebody at DC West Coast said. Uh, hey, by the way, uh, this is the editor who's doing the uh, who's doing the the Superman Adventures stuff. Uh, why don't you drop him a line? Uh, so I did that. That's uh, the editor is Alex Antone, who I had a really good time working with. Uh, he got right back to me, asked me for some pitches. I sent I don't know three or four short pitches, uh, you know, just uh, basically a couple of paragraphs each, and the. Uh, the story that he picked, uh, Only Child, is the one that I really wanted to do because I felt like that was the one. Um, I mean, I, 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 I would have been happy telling any of the stories, but um, it's once you know, every once in a while, you just you get a story that you know, if I can tell this story the way I want to tell it, it's going to work. Sure. Uh, and that was that was absolutely the feeling I had with this, and it was also one of those things where you know, you you the story idea occurs to you, and you go. Well, why the hell didn't anybody think of that already? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, those those are the ones that work as well, where, where it's like you, you kind of feel like, well, how did nobody else do this story already? Uh, and, and that was very much the sense of uh, that, that we got uh, or that I got from uh, from from scripting the story. 
in terms of of writing for Adventures of Superman, is there, you know, does DC provide you with some do's and don'ts? I mean, is it is it always you know Superman with the shorts outside of his pants, or you know, are there any guidelines they're providing to you, or is it just sort of you know any aspect of Superman you get to pitch? Uh, not really. It's it's just it, you you come in and you tell your classic Superman story. I think that's that's one of the reasons that it's it's such a successful series with so many different uh, so many different uh, stories that I think are really good. There's in fact I think uh, Comics Alliance today came out with a with a top ten list from uh, Adventures of Superman and and thankfully um, our story is on it as well. Um, you know, these anthology stories allow you or allow you allow the creative team to come in and and to do what their ultimate Superman story is going to be. You know, if, the, the way I approached it was if you only get a chance to ever tell one Superman story, what would it be? And that's certainly what only child was for me. I wanted, you know, there were there were things I wanted to say about. Superman's character that I got to say through the story. You know, it wasn't just a, a punch up or a fight scene. Uh, I, I wanted to to dig a little deeper into his character and see what makes him, what makes him unique and what makes him tick and and what to me makes Superman certainly one of the you know the the three iconic archetypal characters in comics. So this isn't your first time writing Superman, right? I mean, you've written Superman in the past. Yeah, I've I've, I've written I've been fortunate enough to uh, to write Superman uh, in the past. Uh, when I've done it for the actual Superman or action series, uh, it tended to be a story that was uh, more editorially dictated, uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that you know, editorial comes to you and says, okay, this is. This is the story we want to tell. Uh, this is, you know, we need we need you to carry the ball from point A to point B, um, and, and that's that's often how it works when you're when you're dealing with the you know the franchise characters. Um, the the adventure of Superman is a little bit different than that in that you can kind of come in and and you pitch the story that you want to tell uh, rather than the other way around. So what is it – you're clearly a, a fan of the character. So what is it about Superman that jazzes you? Um, the short version is he's, he's the best of us and uh, he, he is at the same time the best of us and he is not one of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the person that we should all aspire to be and yet there is an intrinsic loneliness to him. Uh, because he is the last of his kind. Uh, and I think that's what that's what I tried to portray in the story, and I think that's what makes the characters work, the character work. There's there's a, a pathos to Superman that I think he's always slightly apart from us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he he is in fact an orphan. Uh, and he was he was raised by wonderful parents who gave him uh, the best values, but there's still a sense of loss to him that his his biological parents uh, and his 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 entire people, his entire world, are gone. Uh, and I think that that sense of loss is important to the character, so that he's not just 
the guy who can do everything. So Doc Shaner aside, who's your iconic Superman artist? Oh man. Um, you know, I, I, I guess that, it, it's weird to say it because, you know, he's one of my buddies, but I, I think of when I think of Superman, I think of Dan Jurgens. Darn straight. Uh, that was a correct answer. Because, by the way. <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, because Dan made such a huge impression uh, on the character and, and made such a, and stakes such a huge claim to it. Um, I think his version is one of the iconic versions of Superman. And obviously there are, there are certainly others, um, you know, led chiefly by, uh, Kurt Swan. Um, but I think for me personally, it's probably Dan, uh, just because, uh, he, he did such a large, uh, large chunk of the character, um, in terms of other people that have drawn him that I think, you know, are are just you know really great interpretations of Superman. I would say both uh, Steve Rude and Dave Gibbons uh, certainly belong in that pantheon as well. You know, I've got the uh, hardcover omnibus of the Death and Return of Superman with the Dan Jurgens cover face out, and uh, uh, one of my friends every time she comes over she refers to that as sexy Superman. Oh well, I, I will. Uh, I will let Dan know that. That uh, I, you know, might give me a beer or something. <laughs> you know, and just talking about it, just uh, as a reminder for our listeners, is by the time this is on uh, on the site for them to listen to, um, Dan Jurgens will have recently released an Aquaman and the Others uh, new series, and we'll probably have talked about it on the show at that point. But uh, look. I'm really looking forward to that. I just I love his art. Um, anything he does, and I love the fact that he, he he does do a lot of DC work, which is uh you know he 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 draws them so iconically that it just seems like he's been drawing them. You know, like like you said, you know, I mean when you when you think of Superman, when I think of Superman, I typically think of Dan Jurgens Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, to me in a lot of ways, Dan is though Dan has obviously done work for Marvel. Um, he is in intrinsically a DC guy. Uh, I, I think uh, so much of his work has been at DC and so much of the, the DC work um, was really, uh, I guess high profile isn't the way to say it, but, but so much of it is, is well remembered. The, the, yeah. More of the DC stuff, than the Marvel stuff. It seems um, iconic, you know, and that, you know? and frankly, yeah, frankly, that's one of the reasons that Dan was, was the, the DC artist on Marvel versus DC that I wrote, uh, you know, he was seen as a, you know, a DC representative, a DC guy. Um, the, uh, you know, I think this uh, enough of this is out there that initially, uh, DC offered the book to, uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez to draw because he is DC. Yeah. Well, and uh, just a, is, yeah, I, iconic Superman and other DC images all throughout his career. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, Jose, Jose's version of all of those characters really is the, is the character are the versions that are imprinted upon the conscious consciousness. I think. Didn't he do and, the and style he, guide? Didn't Jose Garcia yeah, Lopez yeah, do the style guide? And, and he, and he, you know, and continues to work on style guide stuff. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, he and is obviously one of the all time greats. So when uh, when Jose decided that uh, a project of that scope probably wasn't for him, 
uh, Dan was the next guy they went to because he also has that sort of um, iconic identification with the publisher. You know, it's funny because we were talking earlier, Aaron and I, and we said, how do we how do we find a way to bring up DC versus Marvel? How have we not talked about <laughs> it in all the freaking times we've had you on the show? And bam, totally naturally came up. And so I, I got to, you know, because it, it is Superman related. You know, Superman was in the book. I think he had a fight with Thor, if I remember correctly. He had a, he had a fight with the Hulk. Oh. Of course, Superman fights the Hulk. What are you? What are you stupid? <laughs> so, t- how did you get? In, I mean, I know we're, we're we're going back a ways, but how did you get involved? Eight, in, it, it's still years. in print, if I remember correctly. Eighteen years we're going back here. That was written in nineteen. Is it really? Yeah, eighteen years. But I mean, they recently re-released it in print, didn't they? Am I imagining that? I think you're imagining. Um, that. I don't it, know. I don't. I, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether the the trade is in print or not. Um, I don't believe it is, and it's. I mean, I, it's, I know it's, it's certainly not available it's a, digitally. It's a pretty, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, to do that kind of stuff requires Marvel and DC to still be on the same page, and and, and frankly, uh, you know, they're not. Uh, the relationships that the companies have changed, and um, it's a little bit different scenario now. But the the short version of the whole thing um, is that they called and asked. Uh, you know, that's that's really what it came down to is Mike Carlin from DC called me up and said, hey, we're, you know, we're doing this thing. Uh, do you want to write it? And, you know, of course, the answer is, well, duh. And uh, that was, you know, that was, I guess, sometime in 95 when we started working on it. And uh, the first meeting we had uh, was was at Mark Grunewald's apartment, Mark Grunewald being the uh, the, the Marvel editor counterpart to uh, to Mike Carlin on the project. Uh, so at that point, the, the the project was so secretive to even the people at the the other people at both companies that we met uh, at uh, at Mark Grunewald's apartment uh, uh, uptown on Manhattan. And, um, you know, that's when we sort of got more of a, more of a sense of the overall story uh, and in particularly the amalgam stuff that came out in the middle of it. Now, I, 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 while I really enjoyed the DC versus Marvel, I have a, a warm and tender spot in my heart for the amalgam books, in particular, Dr. Strange fate, which you wrote. Um, talk to us a little bit about how that came about. Um, at that first, that first meeting at, uh, Mark Grunewald's apartment, uh, we kicked around ideas for how the heroes were going to get together, and and the you know the the, the aspect of um, of the fans voting on who would, would be the winner for all this stuff uh, was was part and parcel of it immediately. Um, and then really it was kind of a um, it, was, it was kind of the other shoe dropping because that's when they said okay between issues three and four the universes are going to combine and we're going to put all the characters together for a special, uh, you know, for a special one month, uh, uh, you know, one month stunt that, you know, would probably, or at least we were thinking at that point, never be repeated again. Um, uh, part of that was the fact that we needed time for people to vote after issue three came out and we needed to get the voting tallies in. And then we needed to execute the pages uh, that would indicate the winners of the, you know, of the various battles. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, you know, there was a, uh, 
production aspect to it, but it was also just, you know, we just felt like it was, you know, that was the coolest thing that came out of Marvel and D- Marvel versus DC. Uh, the, the, the Marvel versus DC story itself was, um, you know, was popcorn fun and, and we had a ball doing that, but, uh, you know, everybody has talked about, you know, who would win in a fight, Superman or the Hulk. And, you know, there've been crossovers with individual characters before, but the com- the combination of of different characters from Marvel and DC had obviously never been done before, and that was that was really the um, the to me the real plum on the tree. Uh, <clears throat> and they had a Mark and uh, Mark and Mike had a list of the suggested uh, amalgam combinations, and when uh, when they got to Doctor Strange fate, I practically you know jumped across the coffee table and said <laughs> i have to do that one uh and they said okay fine you get to do that one um because strange and fate are two of my favorite characters uh and and later on i might have even been later the same day we uh we went into the we went into dc's office and i met with uh, uh actually must have been a little later on because that once word circulated that we were doing this different amalgam books got assigned to different editors and I sat down and met with the editor that was going to be dealing with the, the strange fate book. And I, you know, the first thing I said to him was, look, I don't care who we get to pencil this thing really, but Kevin Nolan has to ink it because to me, he's the perfect Dr. Strange, Dr. Fate artist. So he's got to, uh, ink the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he can pencil and ink it even better. Um, and, the editor said, well, you know, there's probably not enough time for Kevin to pencil in it and ink it. How about if I call Garcia Lopez? Huh. And I went, well, I guess that'd be okay. <laughs> if you're going to twist my arm. Um, and then, the, you know, and then the, the, the side story, which I've, I've told a number of times now, is that that once I got to the point where I had to sit down and write Strange Fate, which was, you know, fairly soon after, because we were doing all of this stuff at the same time, uh, I kind of had stage fright for two weeks because I thought, oh, man, I, I my script is going to go to Garcia Lopez and then he's going to draw it. And he's a genius. And I have to make sure that it looks like I know what I'm doing when my this this script goes to this, you know, genius God among comic artists. And I really I was sweating it for about two weeks. I couldn't come up with anything. Uh, I couldn't come up with anything that I felt was was worthy of Garcia Lopez. Uh, and I was. Uh, you know, I was on the, sprawled on the couch in my office, uh, you know, presumably with my wrist on my forehead in a in a in a pose of, uh, you know, existential ennui. Uh, and it occurred to me that, oh, wait, Garcia Lopez is going to draw this. So no matter what piece of crap you write, it's going to look <laughs> like it's going to look genius. Uh, and, you know, that penny had to drop for me. And immediately upon having that thought, I went, oh, okay, well, I got a story then. Uh, and I sat down and wrote the script in two days. That's hysterical. Hmm. And, and that's actually been the only time uh, in my career that I've ever sort of been uh, afraid to put, to put pen to paper because of, uh, because of the character and more, more correctly, the artist that I was working with. Sure. Well, you know, with it being 18 years, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that maybe there's an outside chance they could do a uh, 20th anniversary edition, you know, in the next two years. I mean, I know it seems unlikely since, you know, DC and Marvel don't play in the same sandbox anymore, but uh, sure would be nice to see that happen. 
It would be fun. I'd love, you know, certainly if we're, you know, if we're interested in, in everybody making a couple of bucks, I think uh, uh, a, a nice oversized hardcover of that with the amalgam stuff in it would would probably be a winner. But yeah. I don't know. That, uh, uh, you know, I don't know that uh, everybody would come to the table at the same time, but it would surely be nice. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm kind of sticking with the event books a little bit because you, you worked on. I think the last time we had you on, you may have been knee deep in artifacts, which was the big, it started out as a huge event book for the top cow universe, resetting the top cow universe and kind of evolved into this ongoing series. And um, now you've stepped away from that and you're back with Witchblade. All, all true. And research, obviously (laughs) it's not hard when you read the books every month. Um, so, well, I have a question because, you know, with, and, you know, I, I, I know you, you're, I'm not necessarily asking you to speak for another book, um, but, you know, you, you've come onto Witchblade, and Witchblade takes place after another universe altering event in the Top Cow universe that's yet to be published, um, which is the, uh, the death of Jackie Estacado. Yes. And so, you know, how does it, you know, how, how did you kind of, get the book ramped up i mean you know obviously there was a you know a a large promotion with your return to the title so tell me a little bit about you know coming back to the to to the witchblade title what you wanted to do either differently or the same this time um you know and how it was kind of coming in you know to to to, and essentially i mean dropping the bomb that that happened uh you know that that happened off panels so far um in terms of what I wanted to do uh, the same, it was really just, you know, I wanted to, you know, dig back into Sarah's character and make sure that the readers uh, connected with her as a real person as much as possible. Um, that's, but that's how I approach everything. I mean, that's that's what I wanted to do when my first run on the book, and that's certainly what I wanted to do coming back to it. Um, the, uh, the editorial uh, uh, mindset on it from... Uh, from Matt Hawkins and Mark Silvestri was that they wanted to jump the book forward in time and put Sarah uh, at a different place in her life and, uh, you know, have this mystery of what had happened to the Witchblade and what she had been doing in the ensuing years uh, that we would then go back and reveal little by little through flashbacks. Um, so uh, we we talked about that a lot. Um uh, we met, we, you know, we Skyped about it. We met about it in San Diego. Uh, and I think we, we came up with a, with a storyline that, um, that served both, that served both purposes, uh, that, that's let us, um, uh, that let us delve into Sarah's character as well as have this mystery that ho- would hopefully, uh, reel in, uh, new readers as well as, uh, the established readers. And so, I mean, are, are you are you are you enjoying being back on Witchblade? Was it? I mean, was the decision to come back something that you pursued, or was it something Top Cow, you know, said Team Sealy's leaving the book? Um, you know, I think he, you know, he's doing some stuff with DC now, some Batman stuff, and they were looking for for someone to come in. How'd that come about? Yeah, they they came to me and said that uh, that that Tim was going to be wrapping up, and and would I consider? uh swapping out artifacts for witchblade and i said sure uh you know it wasn't that it's not that i wasn't enjoying artifacts but given a choice of the two you know i have such an attachment to sarah as a character that i was um 
that I was happy to go to go back and and pick up that torch again. Um, and I also, you know, as I got into it, we we knew we were going to be uh, looking for a new artist on the book, and I had I had seen uh, Laura Braga's stuff uh, again via Twitter, and you know, I had. Not sure if she reached out to me or I reached out to her after seeing some tweets with her work, but we had, you know, we had kind of struck up a correspondence and stayed in touch. Uh, and when the Witchblade opportunity came up, I took her stuff to Top Cow and said, "Look, I think this is uh, this is who we should be considering for for Witchblade because I think she's terrific." Um, and I also really liked the fact that um, uh, that we would have a a book with a female lead. Uh, being interpreted artistically by a really terrific female artist. Um, uh, I think Laura's work is um, is well, besides just being really good. I mean, she's she's good at everything, but there's a there's a sexiness to her work, which at the same time is still very uh, very real. Uh, there, the way she draws uh, Sarah and actually all the women in the book, um, there. They're, they're beautiful, sexy women, and they are also very much real women. So, you know, is I've noticed, you know, the story, it's, uh, you know, it, obviously it has fantastical elements, but, it, you know, it brings, you know, it's a little bit more down to earth than some of the fantastical elements that were in Tim Seeley's run or, you know, even your run and stuff like War of the Witchblades and Artifacts and all that. And firstborn, um, is that as a result of her art, or is that kind of the way you wanted to to go into the book? Um, I, I guess the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, you know, everything's kind of organic, and I, you know, we had kind of a sensibility where the story was headed, but you know, you also want to be um, part of a writer's job is to be uh, aware of what the artist wants to draw. Uh, doesn't want to draw what the artist is good at drawing. Um, you know, it's a, it's certainly a, a partnership uh, between a writer and an artist when you're doing a comic, and you, you know, you play off of each other's strengths to tell the story. Uh, and you know, I thought Laura's first issue, which was 170 on the book, was really terrific. I also think 171 was better than 170, and 172 was better than 171. Uh, as we got used to each other and she got used to the character uh, and she got used to, you know, to frankly working on American comics because um, she's Italian. She's done mostly European work. Uh, so working, uh, working to uh, the American schedule as well as uh, American storytelling uh, and, and page size is a little bit of an adjustment for her uh, doing doing more uh, European style albums. There's 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 more time to do it. And there's a, a, a much more dense panel count per page because you're working for a larger print size. Uh, so, you know, everything's uh, everything's an adjustment for her. And I think she's you know, you know, I think she's a superstar. I just think she's great. How do y'all communicate? Are y'all mostly uh, email, or you know, how do you how do you you know how do y'all collaborate together? Uh, usually email, but uh, once in a while we'll hop on Skype and and you know, she, uh, Laura apologizes for her English, but <laughs> the fact that, that but the fact that she can apologize for her English makes her English loads better than my Italian. Right, so, right. Uh, and actually, her her English is terrific. Uh, you know, as. Uh, 
as with uh, as with most Europeans, there's uh, uh, there's a uh, multicultural uh, sensibility that a lot of times we don't have over here. Sure. Well, I'm I'm really enjoying you know uh, your return to Witchblade, and certainly the the artwork on it is uh, is fantastic. You know, you have been really blessed by some fantastic artists over there on your uh, Top Cow books. Well, uh, I, I am a firm believer in the uh, in the sense that any comic story is only good as as good as the person drawing it. Mm-hmm. If if you're not interested in what the art looks like in a comic book story, you shouldn't be writing a comic book story. Uh, this is a this is a visual medium, and um, if you're if you as the writer are not interested in that collaboration and interested in making the story as visually exciting as possible, this probably isn't the business for you. Um, so so I obviously you know I I seek out. Uh, the best artist I can work with, and um, you know, I'm and I tend to stick with artists that I that I have a good relationship with, and and that you click with. I, I, there are certainly artists that um, I've worked with in the past who are who are terrific, but you know, for whatever reason, uh, the storytelling sensibilities didn't click, or uh, what they want to draw and the kind of stories I want to tell aren't completely compatible. Um, you know the the vast vast majority of artists that I've worked with I've gotten along great with and would work work with again at any at any point but you do have those people that you you know that you really click with uh, you know and for me Bart Sears Daryl Banks uh, Stie Fonseich uh, Laura Braga just to name four uh, of the most recent um, uh, and certainly Daryl of kind of classic vintage. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the writer-artist collaboration is like a marriage, and and uh, when it works, uh, you just want to stick with it. Sure, I mean, you well, you know, certainly, you know, you've had runs that, you know, and I'm using this word again, but iconic. I mean, you know, we, we talk about you know your run on Green Lantern uh, with Daryl, and and you know your run on Witchblade with uh, Stapon. Uh, you know, folks point to those; those are those are kind of lightning rod moments in in comics and. Uh, you know, they're, it's fantastic when you've got, you know, both fantastic storytelling going on both in the words as well as uh, in the art itself. So um, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches. Well, what's fantastic is I don't have to have a real job. So, <laughs> so you know, I feel that Paul's going to uh, usher us off the stage here in, in a moment. But, uh, you know, you were talking before about, you know, your experience in editing. And I assume that you 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 had the opportunity to hire writers for the books that you were editing. Is that correct? Is that a correct statement? Um, yeah, within reason I did, you know, I've done editing for a number of different projects, both, uh, freelance and I would, you know, I was, I was a freelance editor for Virgin comics for a while and, and, and really at cross gen, all the writers were, were the editors of their own books in a lot of ways. Sure. Uh, so, you know, for someone who's an aspiring, you know, comic book uh, writer, how would you recommend that they frame their scripts that the, that they're, you know, submitting their spec scripts or whatever? Uh, you know, should they be more book narrative or should it be like you described uh, when writing for, for Doc Shaner? Um, it, should it be, you know, your message to the artist when you're when you're submitting those kind of spec scripts? 
Um, if if you're submitting a spec script, you might as well go throw the pages out in the street and watch them blow away, because because <laughs> generally uh, <clears throat> that's probably not the answer you were looking for. But sure. that's that's the uh, that's the honest answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very very rare that an editor is going to have time to read your entire spec script, uh, because if you're if you know if it's a twenty or twenty two page story, you're probably talking about you know, 35 to 40 pages of script material. Uh, editors are editors are overworked and underpaid as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're just scrambling to get the books that uh, are on the schedule off to press in time and to, you know, to make sure that the, uh, you know, the, the, the ship of state doesn't run aground. Um, so having time to read somebody's 40-page spec script is... Uh, is unlikely at best and probably impossible in a lot of cases. Uh, certainly at, at Marvel and DC, uh, they're not going to um, uh, they're not going to look at your spec script if you don't have credit somewhere else. It's mm-hmm. just you know they Marvel and DC are the major leagues and they don't need to um, they don't need to look at creative talent that hasn't come up through the minor leagues. No, I agree. Uh, so. So the best thing that, that a prospective writer can do is get hooked up with an artist, whether it's a first-time artist or somebody that's got a few credits under their belt that's still looking to, to make a name for themselves, and do a comic. You know, the, the way that you learn how to do comics is by doing comics. Mm-hmm. You, you learn a hell of a lot by seeing your first script drawn by an artist. Um, that's a real you know, light bulb goes on moment, I think for a lot of writers is finally you see what was in your head and what you translated to paper finally put onto a page of art. Uh, and you can see what works and what didn't, uh, you can see, you can see ways that you can improve what you're doing immediately because now it's concrete. It's real in front of you. Sure. Uh, and, and that's the, that's ultimately the calling card that, uh, that editors want to see from writers it's you know here's here's this comic I did because it, it gives you it gives them a sense of what you're capable of in terms of producing professional level work, and it also lets an lets an editor know that you actually finished the damn thing. You 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 had the sense uh, to team yourself up with an artist, uh, produce the book, and bring it to fruition, uh, and that's that's actually just as much of a skill as the writing skills. Uh, uh, you know, every artist has horror stories of of hiring some dude or some girl to uh, to give them a chance to give them their first job, and they flake out and are never seen again. Uh, it's I, I think that sort of thing is is less common now because um, because creators are expected to sort of cut their teeth elsewhere, and then and then get hired to do professional work. So that separates a lot of wheat, a lot of the wheat from the chaff. Um, but you know, your calling card is your finished comic. Uh, it's, it's not, uh, it's not realistic to think that an editor at most companies is ever going to read your script because they simply don't have time. Which is, you know, I mean, we've, we've heard similar things and, you know, I, I, I like that top cow has given, you know, they've had these, um, I think last two years they've had a, a contest where they they have looked at at writers. Um, well, all all credit to um, all credit to Matt Hawkins for that because mm-hmm. it was 
it was really Matt's idea to 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 uh, to give that chance to people, um, and to uh, to take it upon himself to review everything. Uh, that's a that's a huge amount of work, and uh, you know I hope obviously the people that um, that ended up winning and getting some of their stuff in print are obviously thankful for Matt. But I think uh, everybody that entered uh, should be completely thankful for Matt's efforts. Because uh-huh. uh, I, I know from talking to him that even he didn't have any idea of how much work this was going to be when he started when he started this process and starting started accepting submissions. Um, you know, you can you can look over an artist's portfolio in, you know, I, I was going to say five minutes, but actually looking at the first page or two, you know, within two minutes or even a minute or less if this is somebody that's got some promise and that you, you want to hire, um, it's, it's, it's very quick to, um, to figure out who knows what they're doing and who doesn't in terms of art, because it's all right there on the page in front of you. Um, that's a much harder and much lengthier process for writers. So let's bring it back to Superman before we wrap up. What's some of your favorite Superman stories? Um, you know, in terms of the, uh, uh, in in terms of, you know, what, just what I think is is a really terrific interpretation of Superman. For me, uh, it's for the man who has everything. The uh, the Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, uh, Superman Annual. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that that captures uh, Superman's uh, alien nature and his humanity and the grandeur of of who he is. Uh, and um, and also captures the pathos of him being the the sole survivor of Krypton. Um, you know, I think there's again there's that sadness that that I think is uh, is important to the character um, because uh, because otherwise he's just you know the perfect guy who can do anything. Um, you know, obviously probably some of that. Uh, some of that style or some of the, the underpinnings of that story influenced what I did in, in the adventures of Superman story. Um, you know, um, you know, I'm also, uh, really fond of, uh, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, which is the, uh, the sort of wrap up and, and send off to, uh, the previous Superman era before John Byrne, uh, before John Byrne uh, revamped it and, and relaunched it in '86, uh, I guess. Um, and again, you know, just a brilliant take by by Alan Moore. Uh, let's see, uh, All Star Superman is terrific stuff by uh, Grant and Frank. Um, you know, it, it's weird. I think that the sort of the gem Superman stories are are. Um, I don't want to say few and far between, but there aren't as many of those as there are Batman stories that immediately spring to mind. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny when people think about, at least for me, when I think about my favorite Superman stories, a lot of them are self-contained, um, not necessarily uh, – this is no offense to anyone who worked on it because I do enjoy the story, but it's not necessarily going to be in our worlds at war or, or something like that. You know, um, you know, it, it is something that I – like the from de- uh, the death and return of Superman, I can pick up that omnibus and get a complete story, or you know, All Star Superman, or you know, something along those lines. Those are the ones I come back to frequently. Well, I also think the um, I, I think 
and I'm not even, I guess I can't even go out on the limb and say what the reason is, but I think a lot of the, the important Superman stories were big stories. Uh, <laughs> Death of Superman, uh, sure. I, I personally thought even more of Reign of the Superman, where, you know, the, the four different characters came back and you didn't know which one, if any, uh, was the real Superman. Um, I thought that was some, some great sort of um, widescreen storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it seems like the, uh, you know you can point to Batman stuff like uh, Dark Knight and Batman Year One uh, a little bit more than you can the Superman stuff, which tends to be a bit more sprawling. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you know it's funny. A lot of the the Death and Return stuff or Reign of the Superman stuff does seem to get in in history lost in the the nineties gimmick covers and things like that. And, you know, I mean, there were a lot of gimmick covers, obviously, even in that storyline. But reading it now, it's still a good story. You know, it's still captivating. It still has heart and emotion. And, uh, you know, those characters are still, I mean, they're not necessarily all in the New 52, but, you know, they were great characters while they were in the DC Universe. I think think a big big part of that was... uh, was that those stories were about what Superman meant. They weren't just stories about, um, you know, about Superman, uh, you know, Superman having a, having a punch up with, uh, with a guy, uh, or with a, you know, with a, with a monster from space. They were really about what, what Superman meant to, to, to Lois, to the supporting cast, to Metropolis and to the world as a whole. And I, that's what, I think makes that um, uh, makes that a a an important uh, story within the Superman canon. As I mean, it certainly wasn't the first time that Superman quote unquote died, but it was the first time that that it really kind of uh, took off and and you know, no pun intended, uh, had a life of its own. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it had you know sprawling ramifications, and I mean, you know, thinking back, I mean, how long was he off? Was he you know off stage? Eighteen months, two years. I don't, I don't know that it was that long, but it was it was it was long enough to make you miss Superman. Right. Um, and and certainly, uh, I think it's you know generally generally pretty true. Um, you, you don't miss you don't miss what you have until you until you don't have it anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a model that a lot of comic deaths follow now. I mean, you know the the death of Johnny Storm or <laughs> Captain America. How or dare you any put the death of Johnny Storm in the same caliber as the, the death of Superman? I am certainly not saying it's the same caliber. <laughs> I'm saying they they have followed similar models since of let's take the character off the board for a year, 18 months, whatever, um, to get people to appreciate their return, that kind of thing. Well, it's it, comics are ultimately uh, at least superhero comics. Um are about the illusion of change rather than real change, uh-huh. because the you know the the universes the Marvel and DC universes are largely static in terms of of um, you know what uh, what you what you're going to get out of them. There's not going to be a whole lot added to it because if somebody's got a great idea for a new character, they're gonna they're gonna go do it themselves and and publish it uh, you know publish it in a creator owned form so that they can, you know, so that they can own it. Uh, so the, 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 universes are largely what they are. Um, so 
the fact that they're static means that you you can't really change much of anything permanently. So you have to give the readership the illusion of change that keeps them coming back. Um, mm-hmm. and, there's, and there's really nothing wrong with that. That's you know that's what comics have been forever and ever, uh, or at least that's what superhero comics have been for for quite a long time. Um, you know, it's it's really in, about the execution of those kind of stories. So. Sticking with superhero comics and going back to the Adventures of Superman uh, that you just did, have you have you said what? Uh, and I'm not fishing here. I'm just asking. Have you said what you've had to say about Superman, or would you, you know, love to to write more? You know, whether it be, you know, New Fifty Two Superman or classic Superman in an Adventures of Superman type storyline. Um, look, I would I would write Superman in any venue. Uh, at any time for any reason, uh, I you know, uh, I I love I love Superman, I love Batman, I love Spider Man. I think the, you know, those are iconic not just comic book characters, but they're iconic fictional characters. Uh, you know, and they they to me kind of represent the the three iconic character types in comics. Um, so yeah, I mean, absolutely. Any you know, if the chance to write Superman. Uh, ever comes around again uh, you know i don't care what the parameters are i would say yes as you know to me as would as would anybody with with half a brain in their head um i i just think that's you know that's one of the that's one of the gifts of of comics uh, of being a comics creator is that you you do get a chance to um to play with to play with these characters that uh that we all grew up with and that we um, that we all value uh, because of when we first met them. Awesome. And as much as I'd love to wrap up the show on that, I have one more question unrelated to Superman. <laughs> um, Good planning. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, I forgot about this damn thing, and I really wanted to ask you about it. You've got a Shadow one-shot coming out. Yes, I do. Um, it's called The Shadow Over Innsmouth. features art by Matthew Dow Smith. If you could briefly just tell us, you know, a little bit about that and when it's coming out, and you know, when folks can look look forward to that, uh, should be coming out uh, fairly soon. I think we were scheduled for uh, late next month, but obviously, it, you know, it depends on uh, Matthew's uh, Matthew's schedule. I know he's had some fairly serious health issues to deal with that he's that he's dealing with, and he's okay, but um, that all that all, uh, you know takes wind out of your sails and time out of the schedule. Um, the, the idea really is another one of those things where you scratch your head and go, why, why didn't anybody else think of this? You know, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but you know, it seems like the shadow over Innsmouth is a really obvious story to tell. Uh, and, uh, apparently nobody's told it before. So, uh, the, the, the short version is the, you know, the pulp Avenger, the shadow, uh, ends up in H.P. Lovecraft's uh, spooky coastal city or coastal town of Innsmouth, and uh, you know, will I think I tried to pay to pay respect and homage to both the uh, the Shadow Canon as well as the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Canon uh, without invalidating either one of them. So anything else you have on your plate that you'd like to chat about before we wrap up today? Um, what else do I have? There's a bunch of stuff that I can't talk about yet, so maybe um, 
So maybe I can come back and talk about the stuff that I can't talk about when I can talk about it. But uh, any are, idea when those things might be announced? Are we looking um, at a C2? Well, not yeah, C2E2 is coming up, isn't it? Uh, we'll announce that we'll announce some protector stuff at C2E2, uh, and then uh, the other stuff is a little bit uh, uh, a little bit later on uh, in the year. So I'm not positive when the announcements will come. Uh, you know, it's you know, comics are a lot more media savvy than they used to be. So if if you as the creator end up, uh, uh, you know, pulling back the curtain ahead of time, you really, you know, you really get your head handed to you at, at this point. So um, there's there's a bunch of stuff that's coming, um, but I can't uh, I can't talk about a lot of it right now. Uh, I can talk about Ravine Volume Two, which will be out. Uh, hopefully in uh, six to eight weeks. Uh, at at this point, I'm the holdup. I've got some more dialogue to polish and some odds and ends to to finish up on it. Uh, but we're almost to the finish line on that. Um, and then hopefully, you know, late in uh, late in 2014. In addition to this other stuff, there'll be there'll be some more uh, creator on work uh, that is uh, new and different. Not not just uh, continuing the creator on stuff that I've done already, but a couple of new projects. Great. All right. So uh, just to wrap up, if you're interested in checking out Adventures of Superman digitally, it's issues 43 through 55. Um, and you can pick those up now on 45. Comixology. Through 40. 45. I'm sorry. 43 through 45. <laughs> that very long run you had there, Ron. <laughs> yeah. 43 through 45. Um, Adventures of Superman, which you can pick up digitally. And if you're interested in some free Ron Mars stuff, you can check out EdgarRiceBurrows.com. Uh, where Ron writes The Mucker, um, you know, featuring some uh, Edgar, Wright, Edgar Rice Burroughs characters, and there are some strips available there for free. Uh, oh, yeah, the, 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 that good point. The Mucker, the first, uh, I think at least the first three are up uh, for free. Mm-hmm. We're, up to, we're up to strip number six, and these are Sunday-style strips. Uh, so, you know, you can have these with your, with your coffee Saturday or Sunday morning. Um, the Mucker. Weekly Motor is up now, and we'll be starting Korak the Killer, uh, obviously Tarzan's son, uh, within the next couple weeks with a a surprise artist announcement that uh, that will be made uh, will be made public next week. Ooh, awesome! And uh, also, don't forget to check out Athleta Comics, where uh, you can check out the Prelude to the Protectors for free as well. Awesome, man! I appreciate you coming on again, and uh, you know we'll, we will definitely have you on again soon. Happy to talk to you guys whenever. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. Superman with Aaron and Polly is a production of IdeologyofMadness.com. Superman is copyright DC Comics. Got a question or comment? Leave us a message on the Ideology of Madness hotline at 972-763-5903. If we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win an Ideology of Madness surprise. Handling of all kryptonite ore was supervised by the certified engineers at Star Labs and LexCorp. It's Superman, Superman.